Hello, I want to welcome you to the Point Church Alberta Campus Sunday Preaching Podcast. My name is Josh Heisler and I'm the Alberta Campus Pastor. We strongly believe in the expositional preaching of God's Word, which works to build our faith and grow us up in Christ. Our prayer is that this message will be a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join us as we get to the point. If you got your Bibles, I hope that you do. Would you open them up to Luke chapter 1? Luke chapter 1, if you don't have a Bible, let me encourage you, grab one of those hardback black Bibles from under your chair, and and if you're grabbing one of those, you're going to want to turn to page 856. Today we're in our third week of Advent, and (laughs) we're in our third week of Advent, nobody saw anything there. (laughs) See, and I felt bad because I almost skipped a song. Um, (laughs) I'm glad it's a small crowd today, it's good to see you guys. We've been a little bit out of practice, but we're in our third week of Advent this week. And two weeks ago, when we began to celebrate Advent, we talked about the fact, Ricky, I got to, bro, I saw you doing it and I didn't stop you. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just need to confess that right now. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> so two weeks ago, when we began Advent, I, I told you guys that, that Advent is the celebration of the coming of Christ. That's what Advent is all about. The word Advent just means coming. And I told you that each week as we celebrate Advent, we're going to have a different point of this. So first we talked about hope. And, and as we talked about hope, we looked at Isaiah chapter 9. And as we looked at that and we talked about the hope of Advent, we saw that we have a sure hope because the hope that we have at Advent finds its source in God. God is the source of our hope. We, we saw that the substance of our hope is God's victory over sin And the guarantee of our hope is God's son, Jesus. We saw that the promise made 2,700 years ago in Isaiah was a promise kept 700 years after that in Bethlehem. And we saw that because that promise was kept, we have a sure and lasting hope. Then last week, as you know, we had to shift online for a week. And so Pastor John led us through 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12, where he showed us how love is a gift from God because God is love. And he showed us that because God is love and because he, he loved us first, we are transformed. Our lives are changed by God's love. That's what we saw last week. But today, our, our emphasis is going to shift to joy. And and as we talk about joy, I want to look at a text that is a thoroughly Christmas text. This is like 100% Christmas, but it's not a text that most people would be thinking about when we go to talk about joy. Today, we're going to look at Mary's song of praise. Many of you may know it by, by its more formal name, the Magnificent. But before we do that, let me set you to set the scene for you there so you understand really what we're looking at. The gospel of Luke begins in a period of silence. It had been 400 years since the people of God had heard a single prophetic word. 400 years since Malachi last promised the coming of the great day of the Lord, where where things would be made right, where God would personally act to save his people. It had been 400 years since the last two verses of the Old Testament had been written And those last two verses were a promise. They said, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, 
and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Those are the last words of the Old Testament. Those are the last words that God's people had heard from them. And then after that, just silence. 400 years later, we come to the Gospel of Luke. And we're introduced to a man named Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest. He was married to a woman named Elizabeth, and they were both righteous servants of God. And it was Zechariah's turn to serve in the temple. One day while he was serving in the temple, an angel of the Lord appeared before him and told him that he and Elizabeth would have a son, and his name was to be called John. The angel told Zechariah, he will be great before the Lord. And then in Luke chapter 1, verse 17, he told him he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And if you think for one second that Zechariah didn't remember the promise of Malachi 4-5, that, that he didn't comprehend the mission that this angel was saying his son was going to have, you're kidding yourself. Zechariah was a priest who served in the temple of God. He knew the scriptures. But in this private moment between Zechariah and the angel Gabriel, Zechariah doubted. He asked how it was possible since he and Elizabeth were very old and Zechariah left the temple unable to speak. It, it wasn't possible. He just couldn't speak because he doubted. Now, everything promised there happened. Elizabeth became pregnant and eventually they had a son who they named John. And, but in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, that same angel Gabriel went and visited one of Elizabeth's relatives a young girl no more than 15 years old, probably closer to 13 years old, named Mary. Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, who was of the house and lineage of David. The angel told Mary that though she was a virgin, she would conceive a son by the power of the Holy Spirit, and his name was to be called Jesus. Jesus is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Yeshua, which is a shortened ver version of Joshua, which means Yahweh is salvation. And unlike Zechariah, Mary believed Gabriel. And in Luke 1.38, we're told that Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And then the angel departed her. That's the context for what we're going to look at today. So with that in mind, let's dive in. Luke chapter 1, we're going to start at verse 39, and we're going to go to verse 56. Hear the word of the Lord. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of her greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has looked on the humble estate of a servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. 
He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, as we prepare to look at this text that you've placed before us today, this this song of praise that Mary sang when she went and visited her relative Elizabeth, God, would you speak to us? Would you use this this time that we have together right now to, to reorient our expectation of where joy comes from, of what the source of our joy at this time of year is? Would you give us a moment to just recalibrate today as we get ready to celebrate your birth? That that we would actually celebrate your birth, that this week ahead would be about you and not about us. God, we thank you for this time that we have together. We thank you for your word. Do something here today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. This morning, I've, I've covered a whole lot of ground in in Luke chapter one, really so that we can just zoom in and focus on just 10 verses. I've done that because I want you to see that this song of praise that that Mary sings is a song that's born out of the joy that we find at Advent. So today as we we study these 10 verses together, I've just got one big idea for you to walk away with. One, One big idea that we're going to find right at the heart of Mary's song of praise, at the heart of the Magnificat. And that big idea is this. The joy of Advent is found in a Savior who overturns our notions of where joy comes from. That, that's our big idea for the day. That's the one thing I want you to take away with. If you want to find joy this year, like true joy, if you want to experience the joy of Advent, the joy of Christmas, that joy is not going to be found where you expect. The joy of Advent is found in a Savior who overturns our notion of where joy comes from. Now, now let me show you where that's coming from in these verses. Take a look with me again, starting at verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. As as Mary begins this song, in these first few verses, I want you to see that Mary begins with praise that is born out of her joy. And that joy is rooted in the context into which she's singing. Remember everything that we've just talked about, everything that's leading up to this moment. This isn't just about the fact that Mary is about to have a son. This isn't just about the fact that Mary's going to get to have a baby shower and there's going to be a baby in the home for the first time. This is about God speaking for the first time in 400 years. This is about God coming to keep his promises that he had made centuries before. Mary's relative, Elizabeth, who's old. Like like so old, in fact, that her husband doesn't even call her old. Have have you ever thought about that? Like like when Gabriel tells Zachariah about what's what's gonna happen, Zachariah responds with with Gabriel and he's, he's asking this question. He says, how is this gonna happen? I'm an old man and my wife, Elizabeth, is advanced in years. Men, do yourselves a favor. 
Don't ever say that about your wife to anyone. Don't, don't even think it. Elizabeth was old. She and Zachariah were so old that they were past the point in life where having kids was an option. But now Elizabeth is pregnant. And she's pregnant with a son who's going to be the one coming in the power of Elijah. And Mary is there too, and she's pregnant. But she's pregnant with the Son of God. They've got a reason to be filled with joy. They've got a reason that, that this joy is going to overflow into praise. At the same time, I want you to see that there is a connection between experienced joy and humility. Look at, look at how Mary refers to God. She calls him God, my Savior. Now, for us, it might be easy to read that and just pass over it and think, oh, there's nothing to it. It's just another name for God. But, but <clears throat> excuse me, but there's something about this name for God that Mary uses that says just as much about Mary as it does about God. You see, in calling God her Savior, Mary is openly confessing something about herself confessing that she needs a savior. She's confessing that she is a sinner just like everyone around her. Now, it takes a certain amount of humility to be able to confess your need of a savior because the truth is that's not our natural desire. That's not our natural inclination. Our natural desire is to be our own savior. Our, our natural desire is to do it ourselves. And any of you who've ever had kids knows what, I've, what I'm talking about. Like, you don't even have to have raised your own kids. You just have to have, to have been around kids or, or babysat some kids, right? Like, think about it. When a baby is first born, they're helpless. We have to do everything for them. We have to clothe them, change their diapers, feed them. We have to do all of that stuff. But over time, as, as babies become toddlers, they start to do things for themselves. And they, they want to do things for themselves, at first, it's really cute, right? It's like, oh, look, he's trying to put his shoes on. It's adorable. But, but as they get bigger, they, they start arguing with you. And, and one of their favorite lines becomes, I do it myself. I still remember Katie and Kylie always arguing with us about that. And eventually, they just wear us down. She's making a look uh, face at me right now. See, I'm just going to call you out now. She's ducking down. At first, you, you try and fight them. But eventually, they just wear you down. And so you, you let them do it themselves. And the end result is that you walk out of the house and she's got her shirt on inside out and backwards and her shoes are on the wrong feet. And it's the same thing with us. We want to do it ourselves. We have that same, I'll do it myself attitude at the core of our heart. We don't want a savior, we want to do it ourselves. Because to admit that we need a savior means that we have to admit that we can't do it ourselves. It means we have to admit that we need the help of someone greater, someone wiser, someone better than who we are. And that kind of admission is the ultimate assault on our pride. But that's the kind of admission we need to be able to make if we want to experience real joy. If, if you want to have a joy at this time of year, then, then you need to be humble enough to admit that you need the source of that joy. And that source of joy is that God has acted to save you from your sin. He's done what you cannot do. And, and until you're able to acknowledge that, you won't be able to experience the joy of Advent. 
So Mary begins her song of praise that's overflowing out of her joy in God. But as she continues in verses 50 through 53, we're going to see three contrasting pictures of examples of how God reorders the values of our world and reorders our notions of where joy comes from. Take a look, starting at verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. These four verses here paint a picture that is intentionally emphasizing a reordering of values. And the first aspect of the picture that's being painted here zooms in on the fear of the Lord. Now I get it, it's 2020 and we don't like to talk about the fear of the Lord because we don't think anyone should ever have to be afraid. But I would contend that there is such a thing as, as a good fear. There is such a thing that, as, as a healthy fear. The flight deck of a nuclear-powered aircraft carrier is probably the most dangerous four and a half acres of American property in existence. We launch and recover aircraft at blinding speeds. During daytime recoveries, our goal is that an aircraft lands every 45 seconds. And right along the landing area of the carrier, there's this red and white line painted directly on the deck. That line is called the foul line. And one of the first things we teach our sailors when they come to work on the flight deck of an aircraft carrier is not just to respect the foul line, but to fear the foul line. Because if you cross that foul line, you could end up dead. You, you could get hit by an aircraft that is landing or worse, cut in half by an arresting cable that's paying out behind a landing aircraft. There's such a thing as a healthy fear there's such a thing as a fear that keeps you safe. It keeps you in the right place. Just like that foul line helps to keep our sailors from going to where they don't belong. There is such a thing as a healthy fear that keeps us in the right place. And the fear of the Lord, even if we don't want to talk about it, it's that kind of fear. It's a healthy fear. It, it keeps us in the right frame of mind. It, it reminds us that God is God, that he is sovereign, that he's in control, not us. You see, the fear of the Lord, to, to fear the Lord is, is to maintain a position of humility that says, you've got this, God, I don't have this. You're in control, not me. And what Mary is saying is that those who fear him receive his mercy. From, from generation to generation, his mercy continues to be available for those who fear him. But, but the world would say that humility, this, this kind of humility we're talking about here, they would, they would say this is a bad thing. We, we live in a world that, that says, be loud and proud. Own your strengths. Ignore your weaknesses. Walk proud in what you can accomplish. But verse 51 says that, that God has scattered the proud in their hearts. You see, joy isn't found in your accomplishments. Joy isn't found in what you can do for yourself. Joy is found in humility. In verse 52, we see the next reordering. Here we see that power is replaced by weakness. Mary sings, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Now, now at first glance, she could be talking about herself, this poor girl from Nowhereville who's get, going to get to be the, the mother of the son of God. 
But if we take just, just half a second and think about like the course of salvation history, see that this is a much bigger picture than that. If you think about all the ways God has picked up lowly people and exalted them and used them throughout salvation history, you'll see this is his MO. This is what God does. I mean, think about some of the people God's exalted. Joseph was the spoiled brat son of Jacob's favorite wife. He was so obnoxious that his brothers took him and sold him into slavery. Kids, who's wanted to sell your brother, sister? No, just, just me. I was the third of four boys, so you know they wanted to do it to me. But, but God took him as a slave and exalted him up to be the second in command of all of Egypt. Moses was a murderer who ran off into the wilderness, but God brought him out of obscurity to lead a people out of, out of bondage. Rahab was a prostitute, a prostitute, but she rescued the spies in Jericho and would end up becoming the great-great-grandmother of King David. King David was the greatest king of all time, ever. God found him out babysitting the sheep. And and when it was time for God to keep his promises, when when God was going to send his son into the world, did he choose a king or a queen? Did he choose some royal family to put his son into? No, he, he picked a poor girl from the middle of nowhere. And when it was time to announce that his son had finally arrived, did he go to the cities and proclaim it with trumpet blasts? No, he went out into the fields and he found shepherds who were the lowest of the low. Their their position in society was so low that they couldn't give testimony in a court of law. But that's who he announced it to. Over and over and over again in our Bibles, we see that God consistently exalts the humble, the lowly in a state. And he does so because they're in a position where they're able to serve, where they're able to be used by God. God takes the powerful who are are dependent on themselves and their, their own might, and he sets them aside so that he can use people who will follow his lead. And so what we're seeing here is that joy isn't found in power but in weakness. When we're in a position where we can depend on God instead of on ourselves. In verse 53, we see this third reordering. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Now, now this one might seem a little bit difficult, so let's think about this for just a second. Have you ever been hungry like, like, really hungry. I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about I skipped breakfast, it's 10.45, Josh is still preaching, I want to go get lunch. That's not the kind of hungry I'm talking about. I'm talking about really hungry. I think the hungriest I've ever been was, was right after I'd finished SEER school, after I'd gotten my wings here in Pensacola. SEER stands for Survive, Evade, Resist, Escape. SEER school is where you go to learn how to, to survive and evade capture if you ever get shot done, down. And if you do get captured, you resist and escape being a prisoner of war. That's what SEER school is about. It is not fun. And, and I can't really tell you what it's about because most of it is classified. But what I can tell you is that the second half of SEER school is spent out in the field. And when you're out in the field, you don't get to eat anything except what you find growing wild out in the bushes. And I was out in the field in February, which means that I didn't eat anything for a week. It was not awesome. But as soon as SEER school was over, they they take us back to the Navy base, and the first thing I wanted to do was eat. And I went to the first place I could find, 
And that first place was McDonald's. And I had a hamburger. And now maybe you like McDonald's. If you do, I'm sorry, I'll pray for you. But McDonald's is disgusting, okay? It's just gross. But in that moment, after having not eaten for a week, that hamburger was the best thing I'd ever eaten. It was so good. But, but could you imagine, what if instead of going to McDonald's, I'd gone and I'd had a, like a, a perfectly cooked medium rare ribeye. Imagine how much better that would have been. That's the picture that's being painted here. Here in the first half of verse 53, God has filled the hungry, not just with adequate food, but with good food, like, like really good. And at the same time, the ones without need, the rich, the, the ones who are self-sufficient, the ones who are never hungry in the first place, they've been sent away empty. You see, joy isn't found in wealth. It's found in God's gift. And the picture here is, is that God's gifts aren't just adequate, they're abundant. This part of Mary's song is outlining a, a complete reordering of values. It's, it's not the proud or the mighty or the rich who find joy. It's the humble, the lowly, the poor. And because joy isn't found in our accomplishments or in our power or in our wealth, that's what he's pointing us to. Those things aren't where we find it. Our, our joy is found in God's fulfilled promises. And we know that that's the case because of the last two verses in Mary's song. Take a look at verses 54 and 55. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. These verses are, are celebrating God's help for his people as he kept his promises in Jesus. You, you see, the promise of a Messiah was a promise that had been made over and over and over again throughout salvation history. It goes all the way back. It was first made in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. As God cursed the serpent, he said, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. On Calvary, Satan, he thought he was winning as he struck at the heel of Jesus as he hung on the cross, but Jesus crushed Satan's head when he defeated sin and death. The promise then was, was reiterated again and again to Abraham when the Lord told him, in, in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. To King David when he was promised, I will establish the, his throne forever. By the prophet Ezekiel when God promised, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. Over and over again, God promised to deliver his people. Over and over again, he said, I'm gonna come and I'm gonna give you my mercy. The joy of Advent is found in knowing that, that God kept his promise. And verse 55 reminds us that that promise extends all the way to you and me. It's not just for those people 2,000 years ago. It comes all the way to us. Right? It says, the promise was to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Now, you might be thinking, Josh, I'm, I'm not Jewish. I'm not one of Abraham's offspring. I got news for you. If you're in Christ, you are. Because Galatians 3.29 says that if you, are in, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, 
heirs according to the promise, which means that since you're an heir, you get to claim this promise, this promise of a savior. He's yours. And that's where we find our joy at Advent. That's where we find our joy at Christmas. We, we don't find it in what we're able to do for ourselves. We, we don't find it in the influence or power that we might have. We don't find it in the things that we can acquire. We find it when we humbly confess that the Savior that we need has come. The joy of Advent is found in a Savior, Jesus, the Christ. So let me give you this little encouragement week as you prepare to head out of here today. Almost done. I'm going to get you guys out on time. Because if, if you're anything like me, there's, there's this thing that's been happening. Like, like all month, there's been this anticipation building. All month, there's been this excitement building as, as we get ready to celebrate Christmas. It's 2020. I, I don't think I've looked forward to a Christmas more than this year. But if the source of that excitement is the gifts you're going to exchange... If the source of that anticipation is the time that you're going to spend with friends and family, if the source of that joy that's been building is the food that we're about to eat, what's going to happen is sometime late Friday afternoon or maybe Saturday morning, you're going to experience this knot in the pit of your stomach. This, this kind of sense of disappointment when all the presents have been unwrapped, when all the family members have gone home, when all the food has been put back in the refrigerator, you're going to have this low-grade disappointment going on because the joy of Christmas has never been about the gifts. It's never been about the people. It's never been about the food. Those things are all good. They're good gifts from God, but that's not what it's about. The, the joy of Christmas is found in a Savior who came to earth to fix our broken world, who was born to save us from our sin, who was born to reconcile us to God. That's what Mary is singing about here. So, so this week, let me encourage you, as you celebrate Christmas, enjoy the gifts. Enjoy the company. Enjoy the friends and family. Enjoy the food. But enjoy Jesus too. Be intentional this week to remember why it is we're celebrating in the first place. I know that saying is, is cheesy. Jesus is the reason for the season. I, but it's true. That's the reason why we have Christmas. So, so be intentional this week to remember why we're celebrating. Be intentional to keep your hope in Christ. Be intentional to love Christ more than the gifts, more than the family and friends, more than the food, more than everything. Be intentional to find your joy in Jesus. Can we do that? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time that we've had this morning to get to gather together to worship you. We thank you for this time to look into your word and, and see that it shows us that the true source of joy is, is not found in all the things we might expect it to be found in. It's found in you. In the fact that you kept your promise. That you came and lived a life we couldn't live. You died a death we deserve to die. 
so that we might find our joy, our, our peace in a reconciled relationship with you. God, we thank you for this time that we've had together. We thank you for the blessings you've given us. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast from The Point Church. If you would like more information about our church, or if you have any questions, you can find us online at tothepoint.church.